What's up, everybody? It's week one, and we've got a great deal for you. I know you guys are anxious to get your bets in for all the Sunday games week one, the Thursday night football game that's about to happen between the Buffalo Bills and the Super Bowl champion LA Rams and everything beyond that, and we've got a great deal for you. Use the coupon code WEEK1 anytime you buy a weekly subscription. That's W-E-E-K-O-N-E. And you will get 77% off your first week. Unbelievable deal. Get you on board. Get everything super discounted for the first week of the season. That's our gift to you. So jump on board right now. Go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. Any package, whether you're buying the NFL-only betting package, whether you're buying the combo package to get college football as well, or you're buying the all-access package to get everything that we do from a fantasy perspective, as well as props, in addition to all the betting action, which is what I highly recommend that you do, use coupon code WEEK1 and you will get 77% off. Truly unbelievable. Football is back. Get on board today. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan Crystal. Congratulations on surviving the offseason. You have made it to week one. And if you are a returning listener from last season, welcome back. We're glad to have you. But if you're joining us for the first time, just wanted to start things off with a quick rundown of what you can expect here on the betting podcast. Um, every week, I'm going to run through my favorite bets of the week, but I'm mostly going to focus on props. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First is every week on sharpfootballanalysis.com, I publish an article of my favorite prop bets of the week. So I'm deep into the props weeds studying things all week long. So that's where my focus is going to be because that's where I'm directing most of my attention. Um, but I am going to give out some other uh, bets that I like against the spreads over unders. In fact, I've got one of each of those uh, for you this week. So I will sprinkle those in here, um, but be sure to check out the website too, sharpfootballanalysis.com. Click betting from the top menu. Um, and then every week, usually on Wednesday or Thursday, my favorite props of the week article will pop up there. I'll always touch on them here on the podcast, but I, my analysis on these props is very much statistically driven. So if you want to ever see the numbers written down to help formulate your own opinions, you can always go check those out there. Um, those will be my favorite ones of the week on the podcast. I'll usually touch on those and a few others um, in addition to some you know, overs and unders or against the spread picks that I like here on the podcast. Um, so another thing to look out for on the website, though, especially if you're really into the props, um, the first touchdown scorer prop has become a really popular one out there in the betting world. Um, and we've got our own Curtis Hirsch writing a weekly article on that, giving out his favorite first touchdown score prop bet for every game of the week, um, mostly focusing on the long shot ones that he likes. So if you like to throw a little something down on one of those long shot props, definitely check out that article. He's got some good information on there. Um, and final, finally, one last uh, housekeeping thing before we dive into the bets this week. If you're into college football betting, I also have a series of weekly articles on the site on the biggest college football games of the week and giving out one bet that I like from each of those matchups. Um, obviously, we're a couple weeks into the college football season already, and I'm off to a nice six and one start giving out bets on the big games of the week. So I'm not going to maintain that pace all season, but uh, hopefully I can stay hot for you. So check out those. Uh, I'll have at least three or four games uh, up for week two in the college football season up this week. All right, now that we got some of that housekeeping stuff out of the way, let's dive into my favorite uh, bets of the week. And let's start things off uh, by looking at one of the one of my favorite over-unders 
of the week, and that's the Packers at the Vikings. Packers are favored in this game by one and a half. The total is set to 47, and I'm on the over in this one. And it really has a lot to do with um, expecting both of these offenses to outperform expectations a little bit. Um, I'm surprised this number is so low, especially because both teams pretty consistently hit the over last season, especially when it was a relatively low number. Um, the Vikings overall, they hit the, the over 10 times last season. Their games averaged 48.5 points per game. So they were consistently uh, topping this 47 that we've got here in this one. When the total for the Vikings was set to 47 or less last season, the over hit six of six times by an average margin of 10.8 points per game. So they were they hit the over in all of these low-scoring uh, games every single time by a pretty significant margin too. They easily cleared it. Now the Packers, they were their games had a an total set to 47 or less nine times. They hit the over in six of those by an average margin of 11.4 points per game. So again, not quite not hitting it quite as consistently, hitting it six of nine times, but that's still a great rate and generally clearing it by a pretty significant margin. So with both of these teams really bringing back a lot from last season, um, obviously the Packers lost Devontae Adams. That's a big loss, but most of the rest of the offense returns. Same thing for the Vikings. They return almost everybody on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but a really significant factor here is on the, the Vikings side, Mike Zimmer's not running the show. And if they were consistently hitting the over with Mike Zimmer uh, trying to regress the offense into a more run-heavy scheme over his final couple of years there in Minnesota, uh, I don't see why they wouldn't continue to do so with Kevin O'Connell taking over. It's likely a much more efficient offense. Obviously, he's coming from Los Angeles where he was with uh, Sean McVay. Likely going to be a more aggressive offense, more aggressive passing offense than they had with Mike Zimmer. So I think... Um, you know, Kirk Cousins potentially sees a nice boost in production uh, and definitely in efficiency. I, I would expect this to be a much more efficient offense than what the Vikings had in recent years. And, you know, 47 is a pretty low number, which we saw both of these teams go over regularly last season. I see no reason to expect a significant drop off uh, for these offenses to think that they wouldn't be able to clear this number. So that's one of my uh, favorite bets of the week, the over 47 points in Packers at Vikings. Okay, let's dive into some player props now. Another one, uh, one that I like is the Nick Chubb over on his receiving yards. Uh, Chubb does not play a significant role in the Browns passing offense, but his receiving yards over his under is only set to seven and a half in this game. And there's a few factors that make me think he is likely to hit the over on this. The Browns are two and a half point underdogs against Carolina in this matchup. And that's significant, especially if you think the Browns are going to lose because last season Chubb played in seven Browns losses and he had eight or more receiving yards in five of those seven. So he definitely sees an increased workload when the Browns are trailing. When they're playing from behind, he's going to be out there on the field participating in the pass game a little bit more. Um, he also, or Browns running backs in general, Chubb and everybody, they see a little bit of a boost um, in target share when quarterbacks are under pressure. Last year, Browns running backs earned a 28% target share when the quarterback was under pressure. Now, that's obviously there's a new quarterback, but it's the same offense. So I wouldn't expect a significant change, especially with when Jacoby Brissett is back there. 
because his strengths and weaknesses are comparable to Baker Mayfield, I would say. So I would expect this offense to the, the play calling for this offense to be generally the same as what we saw the past couple seasons with Mayfield. Now, this is notable that they see an increased target share when they're under pressure against Carolina because Carolina should have a formidable pass rush again this season. They ranked 10th in pressure rate a season ago, and the Browns' offensive line, although it's been one of the best in the league in recent years, it's a little banged up. They're going to be without uh, their starting center, Nick Harris, who was already um, taking over for J.C. Treader, who was manning that job last year. So already um, they were potentially having a bit of a downgrade of that position, and now they're, they're having to move on from Harris as he's likely out for the year. They also might be without Jack Conklin, their right tackle. He's been banged up. I don't believe I've seen an official word on his status for this week. So that might, if you're on the on the fence about this prop, that might be something to just sort of monitor. If Conklin's out, definitely expect Carolina to have successful pass rush, which means more opportunities. And you know, seven and a half yards—that's not a lot. Chubb could do that in one reception. Certainly, he's likely to do it if he gets two. Um, so if the Browns are trailing, if Carolina is getting a consistent pass rush. Odds are very good that Chubb clears the over on his receiving yards at seven and a half. Let's jump now to another high profile running back, Jonathan Taylor. I'm on the under on Jonathan Taylor's carries this week against the Texans. That's set to 20 and a half. Now he averaged 19.5 carries per game last year. So this is pretty much in line with his season average from a season ago. However, one really important stat jumped out to me when looking at Taylor's uh, usage last season. Taylor did not hit 20 carries until week 10 last season. So at the beginning of the year, it seemed really clear that they had a game plan of limiting Taylor's touches a little bit. And they were forced to abandon that late in the year when obviously they leaned on him uh, about as heavily as we've seen any running back leaned on in recent years. Um, but that wasn't the game plan. That was not how the season started for them. At the beginning of the year, uh, they were throwing the ball more often. They also had Marlon Mack in the backfield who was getting some touches occasionally. Um, but basically what they learned in the first half of the season was Marlon Mack was not the same player he was before injury. Um, they ended up uh, essentially benching Marlon Mack the second half of the season. He was a healthy scratch quite a few times. Um, did not play the second half of the season at all, in fact. And maybe more importantly, they lost faith in Carson Wentz. Um, they really scaled back their passing game. Um, and another stat here that really jumped out to me, in the Colts' final three losses, when we would normally expect you know, pass game usage to increase, Wentz put up 20, 16, and 15 pass attempts in losses. So it seems like the Colts really lost faith in Wentz and you know how they handled him in the offseason really <laughs> uh, was an even greater demonstration of their lost faith in him um, but that was a really big factor in the increased usage for Jonathan Taylor last season now he was spectacular he took full advantage of that um, but the Colts probably weren't surprised by that they know that, that he has that in him um, if they want to lean on him for 20 to 25 touches a game as they did at the end of last season they could and he would be great in that role up until a point when he ran out of gas and got injured because that happens to pretty much every running back at some point. So based on how they started out the year, when they thought they had a decent backup running back, when they thought they had a quarterback that they trusted, 
I think they're going to start this season the same way. And why wouldn't they? Now they definitely have a quarterback they can trust. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that Matt Ryan is a huge upgrade over Carson Wentz, even at this stage of Ryan's career. They trust him. They will lean on the passing game when they need to. They also have Neheim Hines, who has been, they have discussed this offseason as having a larger role in the run game. Obviously, he was on the team last year, and he did play, but basically in the second half of the season, it was all the run game was all Jonathan Taylor. They operated without a backup running back the second half of the season. If you listen to uh, some of the preseason pods that I did, I talked about how I was on the under on Jonathan Taylor's uh, season total rushing yards for the same for the, basically the same reasons that I'm going over now. I don't think his usage will be the same. And I mentioned you know a bunch of different stats in there to support that, and a lot of it was how the second half of the season it was. I, I don't. I forgot to write down the number again. If you listen to that pod, you heard me talk about it. it was something like ninety percent of touches when the game was within uh, single digit points went to Taylor out of the backfield. They they didn't use Hines in the run game at all. He was he, he was not a backup running back. He was a backup pass catcher out of the backfield essentially. Uh, but that sounds like that's going to change. Some of the Colts beat writers have been talking about. They seem to be making an effort to incorporate Hines into the run game. Uh, they also have third-string running back Deion Jackson, um, who beat out Philip Lindsay for that role. He could certainly see some action, especially this week when the Colts are seven-point favorites against the Texans. I, I just think, you know, I mean, put yourself in the Colts' shoes. You've got Jonathan Taylor coming off a season where he easily cleared 300 touches. Why would you overuse him in a game against the Texans where you're probably going to use – that you're probably going to win easily? I, I fully expect them to limit him to maybe 15 to 17 carries. Um, I think that's the game plan going into the game. And I don't see the Texans putting up any kind of resistance to make them change that. So I love the under on Jonathan Taylor's carries at 20 and a half. Okay, so for the next player prop that I like, we're going to go to the defensive side of the ball. I don't give out defensive player props all that often, but occasionally we can find an edge when we're expecting a, a significant change in role for a player especially early in the season and I think we might have that with Jordan Brooks in Seattle he's taking over a role um, the green dot role in Seattle's defense from Bobby Wagner a season ago and although Brooks put up huge numbers last year I think this is going to change how he's used a little bit and actually allow him to build on last year's season when he racked up 184 tackles I think he'll actually go over that as long as he can stay healthy playing in the Bobby Wagner role. Now, before I dive into some more numbers on this, um, I have not seen this prop posted yet, which, you know, if you listened to the podcast last year, you know, it happens a lot. Um, in week one, it seems like we've got a lot of props posted early. That tends to not happen during the week. So we'll, we will occasionally be talking about props where we haven't seen a line yet. And what I'll do in this case is based on previous lines that we've seen, I'll make an, a guess as to what it should be and tell you like where the number is that I would take the over or the under at. So for Jordan Brooks, the number that I'm hoping for is eight and a half. It was at seven and a half or eight and a half most of last season. Maybe it could be at nine and a half and I would consider the over still. I certainly wouldn't take the under. Um, if it's at nine and a half, I, I would lean over, but I'm really hoping we get it at eight and a half. And I'll get into some numbers on that now. Brooks averaged 10.8 tackles per game last season. And he did that despite playing 90% or fewer snaps 
in nine of the Seahawks 17 games last year. So he was obviously on the field a lot, but he wasn't one of those players who never came off the field. Now, Bobby Wagner last year in the green dot role literally never came off the field until he suffered an injury in week 17. He played every single Seahawks defensive snap until that injury. That's significant when looking back at Jordan Brooks's games last year where he did play a higher percentage. Um, when he played 90% or more of the Seahawks snaps last season, Brooks reached nine or more tackles in every game, and he hit 10 or more tackles in six of eight games. So that's a big reason why I'm hoping for the eight and a half, because if that were the case last year, he would have hit the over every game. And that's why I'm willing to consider nine and a half. I might play it because, as I said, in six of eight games where he played at least 90% of the Seahawks snaps, he got to double-digit tackles. So we should probably assume that he's going to play 100% of the Seahawks snap this season or very close to it uh, based on what Bobby Wagner, Bobby Wagner did in the same role last year. And if he does, I think Brooks is going to be churning out double-digit tackle games for the Seahawks. So love the over on Jordan Brooks tackles. If you can find it at 8.5, I would probably still take it at 9.5, though I'd lose a little bit of confidence with that adding that extra tackle in there. Okay, let's stay in the NFC West now, but going back over to the offensive side of the ball. And just as with the Jonathan Taylor prop that we discussed, I'm going to go back to one of the players who I have already discussed on the podcast in the preseason um, based on uh, Brandon Ayuk's receiving yards. Uh, I was on the over on his season-long receiving yards prop, and I'm on the over in week one pretty much for all the same reasons. So I'll, I'll just quickly go over some of the logic that I used uh, in the preseason. First off, specific to this game, it's set to 45 and a half. He went over that in seven of 17 games last year. Now that's less than 50%. So maybe we don't have a ton of confidence in this, but all seven of the games in which he went over 45 yards were in the final 10 games of the year. So in seven of the final 10 games, he cleared this number. So that should increase our confidence a little bit. They, they seem to uh, grow their trust in him as the season went on. Also, really significant, he averaged 15 yards per reception. So hitting the over on this does not require a big workload. It could be just three receptions. Certainly if he has four, he is likely clearing 45 and a half receiving yards. Now, onto some of the reasons that I mentioned in the offseason. A big part of it, is Debo Samuel's usage likely drops off a little bit this year. Now, that has nothing to do with Samuel's talent. I assume he's still going to be the same player, but they probably overused him last year. They leaned on him a little bit too much, and some of the offseason drama surrounding Debo and the 49ers seemed to indicate that Debo probably felt that way also, um, that he either wanted to be paid like they were using him or he wanted his usage to be scaled back a little bit so that he could stay healthy one or the other, uh, one way or the other, I think that they probably will scale back his usage a little bit and their trust in Ayuk, the way that it grew throughout the season. I think that's going to allow them to scale back Debo's usage. Now, how does Debo Samuel win? It's mostly after the catch, right? They try to get him the ball in space and let him work. Um, Brandon Ayuk does the same thing. He doesn't get quite as much uh, celebration for his uh, ability to do that. But I mentioned this stat on the podcast a bit in the offseason, the route-adjusted data. Looking at the at different routes that players run, we can look at how much yak they produced 
relative to expectations because different routes are obviously going to produce different amount of yak. If you get targeted on a screen route, you're going to run for a bit, no matter who you are, whether you're running back, tight end, whoever. If you get targeted on a curl route, you know, you might get tackled for zero yards, you know, for zero yak on that particular play. It really depends on what type of routes you're running. Debo led the league last year in yak above expected. He's obviously spectacular. He's in his own category. Ayuk's not quite at that level, but Ayuk picked up 32% more yards after the catch than expected last year. That was the eighth best rate in the league. So he's not Debo, but he's really freaking good. And that's exactly the type of skills that the 49ers love. So if they're going to scale back Debo's usage a little bit, even if just, you know, one or two touches per game, Ayuk brings the same type of skill set to the table and he proved it last year. So it seems like it would be a really easy transition for the 49ers to just dial back Debo just a little bit and give an extra target or two to Ayuk this season. Um, I think that's going to allow him to hit the over on his season total. And I think right out of the gate, he probably hits the over on this 45 and a half. That's a pretty modest number. So Brandon looks over on his receiving yards is another one of my favorite props of the week. All right. Now, another part of the show that I should have mentioned at the top, because we're always going to be recording this before Thursday night football, I will always wrap up every podcast with a bet or two that I like for the Thursday night game. I'll always put it at the end in case you're listening to this on Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. Easy for you to skip it. Um, but if you are listening to this before the Thursday night game this year, we've got Bills versus Rams. And I've got two bets that I like on this game. And one of it is the Rams money line. Uh, the Bills are favored by two and a half in this game. And I was really surprised to see that. Um, it's a little bit based on the matchup. I probably would have guessed that this would have been maybe a pick em, maybe Rams by one and a half or something like that. That would have been my guess. They're at home. Um, and home teams in Thursday night openers are 16 and three overall 11, four and four against the spread. So 16 and three straight up 11, four and four against the spread home teams and Thursday night openers take care of business. I'm not sure why we're not expecting the Rams to do the same. I mean, this appears to be a fairly evenly matched game. They're the home team. seems like they should have a slight edge. Um, the Rams, as an underdog at home, obviously it hasn't happened to them a lot lately, but they were an underdog at home once last year against Tampa Bay. They won easily in that game, 34-24, um, and it was actually a late Bucks touchdown that made it look a lot closer than it was. That was an easy Rams win. They were also an underdog once on the road last season. They also won that game outright. So they were 2-0 and as an underdog last year. The, the road game, they were an underdog at Arizona. That was another easy win. Uh, another Arizona scored late in that game to make it look close, but they were up by two scores for most of the second half. So, you know, we saw the Rams as an underdog a couple of times last year and they emphatically took care of business. It's, you know, week one, I'm sure they know they're an underdog, a little extra motivation uh, for them to start their season out uh, by making a statement against a team that, you know, there's definitely people out there picking this to be a Super Bowl preview game. Um, I would expect the Rams to come out and take care of business. If if it were a pick 'em, if the Rams were favored, yeah, I probably I might not take it. But with the Bills being favored by two and a half, I, I like taking the Rams on the money line. I think there's a little bit of added value there. Now the other the player prop from this game that I like, um, I I talked about this logic a little bit in the preseason because I was on the under 
on Stefan Diggs receiving yards. Um, I'm not going to go out under Diggs yards in this game, but I'm going to take the under on Josh Allen's rush attempts. It's up to six and a half. Um, this, I, even if this were last season, I probably would lean towards the under because over the past two seasons, in each of the last two seasons, Josh Allen has hit seven or more rush attempts in less than 50% of his games. So right off the bat, we should probably be leaning the under on this. More often than not, he does not get to seven rush attempts. Last season, he got it in eight of 17 games. That's 47%. In 2020, he hit the he hit seven or more rush attempts in seven of 16 games. That's 44%. Now, his first two seasons in the league, he easily uh, cleared 50%. He did it 58% of the time as a rookie, 69% of the time his second year in the league. And I think maybe there's a little bit of a leftover, um, just, just sort of a lingering reputation there of him as being really a, having a significant role in the Bills run game. And really it hasn't quite stayed that way over the past couple seasons. Um, but another big factor and what I referenced in the Stefan Diggs conversation in that preseason podcast is Brian Dable is going to be a, a loss for this offense. Now there there's plenty of talent. They're still going to be one of the better offenses in the league, but I think where it hurts them the most is they've got a first time play caller stepping into Brian Dable's role in Ken Dorsey. Dable was an experienced play caller. Buffalo was his fifth stop as an offensive coordinator between the college and pro games. Obviously, mostly in the NFL, but he did have a season as Nick Saban's offensive coordinator in college. Um, plenty of experience. He probably had a little bit more sway over Sean McDermott. Uh, probably got his way a little bit more often than a first-time play caller in Dorsey will be. And McDermott is by nature, a conservative defensive-minded coach who wants to run the ball and play defense. That's that's his style of play. I have to assume that we're not going to see the same aggressive passing attack from Ken Dorsey's offense than we will from Brian Dable's offense. If for no other reason than McDermott is going to push back on Dorsey's desired game plan more than he would on Dable, just given Dable's extensive experience those guys just tend to have a little bit more power and McDermott is going to question a first time play caller a little bit more. And so they probably dial back their passing game a little bit. And that's significant to Josh Allen's rush attempts because although they do design runs for Josh Allen, it's definitely a part of their offense. 40% of his rush attempts came on scrambles last year. He averaged 2.9 scrambles per game. So that's when they're calling a pass play and yet Josh Allen is taking off and running. He doesn't do it a ton, but Basically three times per game, he was doing that last year for Dable. If they're dropping back the pass less often, that's just going to be less opportunities. He's unlikely to maintain that rate. And so I think that he's going to see a little bit of a drop-off in his uh, rushing volume this season. And then you know, the third factor here, a pretty obvious one, is the Bills are a pretty – I'm somewhat surprised by this, but it seems like – they're the favorite in the AFC by a wide margin. Basically, every prediction I'm seeing, uh, we got the Bills going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and the Bills obviously know that. They obviously believe that themselves, that they're going to the Super Bowl. That's It's Super Bowl or bust for them this season. They're ready to take that next step. So in week one, why would you put Josh Allen in harm's way more than you need to? They're going to try to win the game, obviously. If it's late in the game and they, they need to dial up a, a run for Josh Allen or if he needs to scramble, he'll do it. There's, there's no doubt about it. That's still a strength that he brings to the table. 
But why would you go out of your way to make that happen? I have a feeling that they're going to scale back his design runs as well, just to make sure that he stays fresh throughout the season because they obviously want to be playing deep into January and early February. Uh, so we think his scrambles are going to drop off a little bit because they're not going to be passing often. There's good reason to think his design runs are going to drop off a little bit because they want to keep him fresh. And he was at under seven rush attempts over 50% of the time in each of the past two seasons anyway. All of that adds up to me thinking the under on his 6.5 rush attempts is one of the better bets of the week. Uh, so hopefully we can hit on that one and start out 1-0 right out of the gates on Thursday night. That's all for this week's podcast. Hope you all have a fun, profitable week one.